Well, good morning. And to all of you out there who had a mother, happy celebrating Mother's Day. Mothering is associated with nurturing, and somewhere along the way, all of us had someone who nurtured us, or we would simply not be here. Possibly you will have had a number of people who took that role upon themselves, and today, this Sunday, we take time to consider how we might better understand those who cared for us and loved us, and in doing so, we will become ever more compassionate towards ourselves, which, strangely, benefits the world greatly. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist, and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge in Southern Ontario, and you also, if you are listening to this podcast. We hope that whenever you're listening, whatever day or time it is, you are enjoying some Sabbath time, a time when we set aside the jostling contradictions of ordinary time and settle into a deeper rhythm with the heartbeat of this world, of which we are all a part. And here we can consider the more resilient matters, the possibility of an alternative worldview to the dominant culture, which can so often disregard the sacredness in matters. We all do this, of course. We get busy with our lives, or perhaps we become fretful, or perhaps we have before us very real challenges to overcome in the day. I am always grateful when I am reminded somehow that everyone I encounter is fighting a great battle, something I can't see and can't understand. Somehow knowing that gives me courage for my own internal battle, to be good, to find my best self, to see that everything bears the mark, not of some commercial branding, but the mark of its creator, which is a mystery not to be unraveled. And so it follows that if everyone is fighting a great battle, including myself, we should all be offering respect and compassion as an accompaniment for our journeys. And given that this is Mother's Day weekend, I would like you to apply this thought exercise this morning to the person or persons who have offered you the great gift of nurture. Was it perfect? I don't think so. Was it what you wanted? Maybe not. Were there elements within it that harmed you? Most likely. But consider this. The person who bore you inside their body risked their life to bring you into this world, and for that they deserve your eternal gratitude. No other person in the entire history of humanity was able or willing to do that. Measure the weight of that gift and recognize that it is considerable. And as to the nurturing, the teaching, the caring, see that as an additional bonus that no matter the largesse or the smallness of it is still a reason for endless, endless gratitude.
seen and unseen, breath upon breath we breathe. Here in our hearts, here in our minds, always the way of peace. When we choose love at every turn, we find you standing there. ago, I was concerned about one of my children. I would wake in the morning and it would be there waiting for me. That feeling of thinking I had to do something, but not having any idea what it was I was to do. I feel certain that anyone who has nurtured others will have experienced the same terrible dilemma. Prayer, tears, conversation, they all help. But ultimately, you feel you are alone with your sorrow. Your sorrow is an intimate affair. But here is one place where the Spirit of God, moving in its fluid way, can somehow come alongside and provide a kind of companionship we cannot conjure up ourselves and which works in concert with others to offer us solace. 
This particular morning, I sought out my husband with my sorrow, but he was already responding to my sadness. I found him in his studio, having just completed a painting that he handed to me in silence. He had painted what we call the Madonna and Child, but it was me and my child. The Madonna and Child are known in the Christian tradition to be a picture of Jesus and his mother, Madonna meaning my lady in Italian. And most of the representations we think of in a classical sense come from the time of the Renaissance, centered as it was in Italy in the 16th and 17th centuries, though depictions of the Madonna and Child have been around since the mid-5th century when Mary was elevated in stature within Catholicism. Paintings and sculptures of the Madonna and Child were, and still are, beloved icons. Perhaps the best known of all the Madonna and Child depictions come from the Italian painter Raphael, whose representations of the graceful mother with her beloved child are reverential and tender-hearted. Classically, Mary is dressed in a red robe to signify earth, and a blue mantle to signify her empress-like divinity. But the classic picture of a mother and child has a larger reach, for the mother and child motif is one we might extrapolate to the earth itself, the nurturing earth caring for its child. We have lost this sense, though hopefully we are in the process of trying to recover it. In my personal Madonna and Child painting, I recognized that the painter had imagined me in a particular bohemian-like skirt that I often wore when we were first together. And I think this is the wonderful gift of art. It can weave together various time periods, various motifs, symbols, memories, and draw them all together into a truth that lies beyond facts and can offer us healing and renewal. Here is my improbable conversation with Bruce's early morning gifted painting and our call to worship. Motherhood is all about leaving 
Every exhale of breath leaves behind the person you were. Every inhale of breath breathes into you that which you are becoming. And so it is for the child, breath in, breath out. A moving target shooting through the cosmos, leaving behind what was, leaning into what will be, mother and child, dancing together, bound by the tenacious threads of the spirit that hold them in tender embrace. To dance, to breathe, to hold the beloved, to be the beloved, this is to know the melody of the heart which echoes throughout the universe. Pray with me. God of grace, goddess of mercy, lover of all, embracer of all of us lost and lovely ones all in one. At last spring creeps into our world, stealing upon us, always both expected and yet, how can such beauty be really understood? It is always an amazement, and for its beauty, we give thanks. So too is the amazement of each and every life, and we give thanks for that, for the mystery of each person who is surprised to find themselves here, and perhaps more surprised when they meet you face to face in every loving act and goodness and kindness they receive. But we ask this day, this day in our little part of the world, when we stop to celebrate the power of nurture, we ask also this in prayer and in humility. Let us see also your face in adversity and sorrow and in the many mysteries we do not understand, in muddle, in mystery, in distress, and our own faltering way. May we see your face there also, the face of grace and compassion and opportunities to learn of the enduring power of love. Grant us this gift this hour, for we ask knowing that your generous heart will not refuse to grant it. In gratitude for our many blessings and in expectant hope, for all that is yet to come, we pray. Amen.
We began this last Friday evening to study and practice with a book written by Dr. Frank Rogers called Practicing Compassion. If we had to choose one spiritual practice around which all faith traditions could gather, it would certainly be this one. No matter what belief system humans hold, it would generally be held true that at the heart of all religious leanings, there is a deep desire to understand and extend compassion to others. And it is also true that those without any formal faith tradition are also drawn to compassion as a nature or virtue to be desired. You may remember last week that I mentioned that Rick Hansen, who studied these matters deeply, wrote, more than learning how to use tools, more than being successful at violence, more than adapting to moving out of the forest into the grasslands of Africa, it was learning how to love and live with each other that drove human evolution. Of course, it is the how of the matter that is the challenge. How can we feel compassionate towards others when we ourselves are a mass of contradictions and failed efforts to love others as ourselves and often to love ourselves as we love others. It is a complex challenge, but one well worthy of pursuit. But today we begin with a simple meditation on some of the key writings on compassion. They are a combination of Dr. Rogers' work and my own. I invite you into an exercise of active, mindful listening. Compassion is the active regarding of life through the eyes of love, seeing value in all people and all situations. This committed work of mind and heart restores one's equilibrium and sense of belovedness, allowing for ourselves and all others to be known as valued members of humanity. True compassion also offers a spirit of engagement beyond the human connection to all matters, natural and otherwise, so that we see the sacred in ourselves, in other people, in animals, in plants, in all the elements of water and earth and air and fire. We see through the eyes of love the world brought to life, and in it, we welcome a new richness into our own. Compassion is the heartbeat of humanity. We are most fully ourselves when we see someone in the truth of his or her experience and are moved to respond with kindness and care. Pausing from the busyness of our lives and recognizing the tender humanity of another restores us to our own humanity. The pulse of care and connection within us resuscitates 
Our hearts, normally dulled by the day's burdens, beat freely with love. And the ensuing kindness we extend to others has the power to resuscitate their spirits as well. For compassion not only restores the heart of our own humanity, its healing care makes human once again the heart of another grown hard and cold. There are three movements within the practice of compassion. Firstly, this path invites us to know in the depth of our own souls a compassion that holds and heals us. Secondly, the path of compassion invites us to be liberated from the internal turbulence that disconnects us from our compassionate core. And thirdly, the path of compassion invites us to feel genuine compassion towards others. Each person is surrounded by a cosmic circle of care and beheld by a face whose eyes gaze upon him or her as beloved. Holding others in the light of this love opens our heart more fully toward them. On this particular day, may we open our hearts to mother and mothering people who have loved us into being. Would you bless our homes and families, source of life who calls us here? In our world of stress and tension, teach us love that conquers fear. Help us learn to love each other with a love that constant stays. And teach us when we face our troubles that love's expressed in many ways. When our way is undemanding, let us use the time that's ours to delight in simple pleasures, sharing joys in gentle hours. When our way is anxious walking and a heavy path we plod, teach us trust in one another and in you, our gracious God. From the homes in which we're nurtured, with the love that shapes us there, teach us, God, to claim as family everyone whose life we share. And through all that life may offer, may we in your love remain. May the love we share in families be alive to praise your name. Let us reach beyond the boundaries of our daily thought and care till the family you have chosen spills its love out everywhere. Help us learn to love each other 
with a love that constant stays. Teach us when we face our troubles that love's expressed in many ways. Help us learn to love each other with a love that constant stays. Teach us when we face our troubles that love's expressed in many ways. Last fall, two things occurred in our family which, as it turned out, directly affected the squirrels who live around, and sometimes in, our house. The squirrels were far from our thoughts, and their personal welfare was not our concern, though in the end they had nosed their way not only into our personal affairs, but into my theological thinking. They're very pushy, those squirrels, especially the red ones, and perhaps I might have considered them, but I did not. The front porch had become something of an embarrassment, a portal into the house that leaked, groaned, and grumped at every turn, and for the last two years had offered our rodent-like friends a winter condominium residence where they could watch the howling winter winds through the glass from the relatively balmy weather on the front porch. No amount of shouting and throwing things changed the situation. They cleverly constructed their nests at night in behind the woodpile, squealing at us from time to time to remind us of their existence. In addition, snakes, birds of all descriptions, and dragonflies were forever getting caught on the silly falling down porch. Something had to change. The day Michael pulled the whole structure down in one fell swoop, there must have been an SOS sent out to the local woods. Mass hysteria. Squirrels running every which way, squealing, screaming, absolute mayhem. There were squabbling groups of them out on the front lawn, accusations flying back and forth. Did you pay the condo fees? I told you we should have cleaned up the walnut shells in the spring. Why couldn't you pee outside like all the other children? They were really quite distressed. That same month, I visited with our daughter in the Netherlands. And as you can imagine, being Holland, the fall bulbs were being hawked on every corner I passed. I wanted to scoop up every bag, covered as they were in vibrantly colored photos of what would emerge in the spring all at very affordable prices. I thought of my daughter being away for another four years, and I wanted to fill the garden with tulips to remind me of her. But I was soon informed that these bulbs would be suspect at the border, and in fact, if my bags were checked and I did not have the proper accreditation for them, I would be asked to step outside in public at the customs counter. And... I thought of all of you, and how embarrassed you would be if you saw my picture in the paper under the title, Minister Caught Red-Handed with Uncertified Tulip Bulbs. Not a pretty sight. 
So off I hiked to downtown Amsterdam to the Tulip Museum, where, as it turns out, you can purchase at three times the price, mind you, certified, stamped and sealed tulip bulbs that can be brought through customs. I scooped up as many as I could afford and carry. And, yes, it did occur to the criminal element in my mind, which often has free reign, that I could tuck some of the cheaper bulbs in with the officially stamped ones. But again, the thought of public humiliation at the border crossing deterred me from acting badly. I do not want in any way to encourage you to publicly humiliate anyone. But it is also true that the thought of public humiliation can sometimes push us in the right direction. On arriving home, I talked my expensive, certified, grade A tulip bulbs in the garden, marking out their artistic pedigrees on wooden sticks. Queen of the Night, Rembrandt Mix, Lourdes Miracle. And off I went to enjoy the wintry weather from the glassed-in view on the new front porch. In the spring, I noticed that the squirrels seemed exceedingly chipper. They were virtually flying around the garden, leaping into the air with joy. I pointed this out to Bruce. What's gone into those squirrels? They seem so happy. I know it's spring and all, but this seems excessive. It took me a month or so to actually get down on my hands and knees and dig in the garden to then discover the source of their joyfulness. Where once there were promising buds of my artistically named tulips, there were just gnawed-off stumps of green, leaves gone, bulbs gone. They'd even taken bites out of my perfectly scripted wooden stakes. On further investigation, I discovered that not a single tulip from previous years had so much as a paw print on it. They had only eaten the specially imported certified tulips that I had dragged through two airports so I could waltz guilt-free past the customs officer. So what exactly was going on in the minds of those squirrels? Did they all hunker down around my fancy tulips in glee and delight, like gathering around the table in a fancy restaurant where there was on the menu certified Angus steak? Did they dig into them with gusto, knowing them to be prized specimens, certified no less than from the very fancy tulip museum in Amsterdam? Did they think, what a wonderful springtime treat after our long winter in the cold. What joy, what yumminess, what deliciousness, munch, munch, munch. And did the sheer joy of their gourmand high-end extravaganza of a dinner party send them flying around the neighborhood with leaps and bounds? Or did it happen that they were still so annoyed with Bruce and I for having forced them out of their cozy winter abode that come the spring, having spied the shoots of the newly planted tulips, they saw their chance for revenge and with evil intent and flat-out maliciousness gorged their way through the tulips as a tit-for-tat and then, pleased with having even the scored with the human creatures in the house, 
had great cause for celebration. Here is before us one of the key features of the practice of compassion and one of the main assumptions that must be absorbed. It is not within our power to ever truly know the motive of another person or another squirrel for that matter. We make the mistake of imposing our motives, our intentions, our manners of thinking upon the other and assume them to be true. They are not. We do not have the privilege of seeing into the soul of another person. This belongs to God and to God alone. And as I've said many times, our chief misstep in the spiritual life is thinking we have the mind of God when we do not. In order to have compassion for another, we must first admit that we do not have access to the sacred, unique heart of the other. Not a single person in the whole world. And therefore we cannot judge or criticize in any way, for we do not know what we are actually seeing. We are blind. I want you all to take this thought and apply it to your mothers. What was something that hurt you that she did? What was it that you did not understand? What was it that seemed small or petty or mean or forgetful? Or what seemed particularly lovely or joyous or curious? And as you ask those questions, hold at the same time the deep knowledge that you have absolutely no idea what was going on in her heart or her mind or her spirit at the time. This and this alone was God's privilege. Compassion allows us new vision, new understanding of humanity, and most importantly, a softening of our own heart. Jesus, in all his teachings, was drawing us, enticing us, luring us to this place of the softened heart, the tender heart, the humble heart, that will not claim to know anything of another person other than that they are beloved and valuable and travel their own sacred journey for which we are but grateful fellow travelers.
We face a summer of unknowns in so many areas, but here for final consideration on this Mother's Day weekend are a few certainties. It is the purest happiness you will ever know to truly care for another human. Do not waste a moment thinking on what is fair. Think only on this. You can have a mind and a heart steeped in compassion if that is your longing. Remember that to minister to those in need is the highest of callings. To nurse the sick is an honor. To uplift the weary a privilege and to share a blessing. surpasses all understanding be with you and may the compassion and grace that are the heart of Christ be in your heart also and may the fellowship and the guidance of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and all days you can change the world one teardrop at a time